0: Good morning. How's everybody this morning? I need to know how many of you are glad that it's raining out? Is there anybody that wishes it wasn't raining out today? Few? Few? You can never make everybody happy, can we? Not with the weather. And that's the reality of almost almost any set of circumstances you run into. And that's free, that's not a part of the lesson today. Uh Anyway, my name is Gary. I'm Gary Chappell. I'm one of the elders here at Greater Alton. Uh I helped Tim out up here. Uh me and Mike uh do. And Tim's been in the middle of a lesson series. I guess this is actually maybe the, the the uh the last lesson in this series called the Twelve. And we've been looking at the twelve men that Jesus chose personally to train and to entrust the advancement of his kingdom after he left this earth. And uh, it's been very interesting because some of these gentlemen we know a lot about. Some of them we know virtually nothing about. I got to speak uh, a little bit uh, several weeks ago on um, Simon the Zealot, who we have no quotes from Simon the Zealot. Now, there are people in that list, some of the guys in that list, that we know even less about. Because one of the wolves... I, I consider it wonderful. I consider it very, very, very interesting, very cool that the Bible can tell you something about somebody without even telling you their words. And, and that's what it does when you, when you start to look at these people, you look at them and you go, why did Jesus tell us about this? Why does Jesus tell us the names of these twelve that we then hear nothing else about? I mean, nothing in his word. None of their words are quoted directly. I'm like, why does he tell us that Simon was a zealot? I don't believe that any of the words of the Bible are there as filler. None of them are there just to add space or to, you know, uh, add a joke here and there. When you're up here, sometimes they tell you you want to you want to add some humor to the lesson. You know, it helps people to hear better. I'm not sure that any of the Bibles that way. I think it's all ha- all there. Every word that's there, though, you might find some of it very humorous, and that's okay. I believe it's there for me to learn something. It's there for me to dig down on. And today uh, we're going to look at uh, Thomas. Now, you all know who Thomas is, right? What would you call What's his nickname? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. And if you'll notice in your notes, I put the doubting one and then a question mark. Is that really fair that he's called the doubting one? Maybe not. Maybe cynical would be a better word. Okay, I, I, I'm i just saying, I, I know where we get that from. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more. We have four, unlike Simon the Zealot that I had to talk about, we had none of his direct words. Today, when we're looking at Thomas, we have four direct quotations of Thomas in context in the in the Bible. And all four of them happen to be in the book of John. The first one happens to be in John chapter 11 and what's going on there in John chapter 11 is Jesus uh, gets ran out of Judea. They're ready to kill him by picking up pieces of rock and stoning him with those. And uh, he, he goes on to another area and he gets word while he's in this other area that a good friend of his is sick and is dying. His name is Lazarus. And Jesus says, oh, it'll be okay. And Then he says, after he's done with what he has to do in this other area, he says, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples, one of them brings up and says, Jesus, they were ready to stone you the last time we were there. Why do we want to go back? And these are the words of Thomas. He says, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if those are, hey, I'm going to follow him to his death. <laughs> or, or if he's being negative and sarcastic or cynical, going, yeah, let's go. He's he's determined to die. We're going to die with him. I don't know. But those are his words. Another passage is in, is in John chapter 14, where Jesus is talking and he's saying, he goes, uh, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas again speaks up and he goes, no, we don't, Lord. We have no where. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And guys, in that situation, Jesus goes on to tell him, "Yes, you do know the way." Thomas clearly doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, and I don't know if it frustrates him. I don't know if it angers him. I don't know if he's just disagreeing, saying, "Look, you're wrong here. We don't know." Or he's trying to say, "Explain it to us better." We don't know. But those those are the first two quotes. Uh, of Jesus. The other two quotes are in John chapter 20 and those are the two quotes that we're going to look at today. These are the ones that you're the, that you're familiar with, or at least the first one. Now other than that with Thomas, we don't have any of his direct words. We do know, however, uh of uh, of the context of some of his words. We know that he was involved with arguing with the other 11 on multiple occasions. About who was the greatest, okay, not sure if each of the each of the twelve thought hey i 'm the greatest, or if uh they were you know if they were into little political groups you know i 'm a follower i think I think john 's the greatest he 's a disciple whom jesus loves, okay I think peter's the greatest because he's he 's got the big mouth and steps forward the most and gives Jesus the most chances to to tell us illustrations. Uh, i don't know maybe it's maybe it's matthew he's changed the most he was a tax collector i don't know how that went but thomas was involved in those arguments and that's how they're described as okay these 12 men did not get along naturally they did not agree naturally we also know of another time, we, again, not the exact words, but in Mark 14 it reveals that at the, at the Last Supper, which we were just partaking of and remembering, um, Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. And Peter speaks up and he goes, even if all the others deny you, I will never deny Oh, Let me get the quote right. Let me get the quote right. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So Peter says, But it says, all the others said the same. You see, so Thomas was one of the others. He, like Peter, even though he's not quoted here, says the same thing. Even if everybody else disowns you, Jesus, I'll never disown you. Even if I have to die, I will never disown you. We know that just a few hours after that, Thomas, along with everybody else, when Jesus is arrested, deserts him. Like cockroaches when the lights come on. They all ran when Jesus got arrested. When they saw he wasn't there to fight back. Other things we know about, specifically about he got, about Thomas, is he got to see two dead people raised back to life. One was a little girl, and the other was the one that we referred to, the man named Lazarus that we referred to in his first quote, that died, and he watched Jesus bring him back from the dead, raise him up. He saw Jesus walk on water and calm a storm, and he had multiple private instruction times with Jesus, where Jesus pulled the disciples, pulled the twelve aside, and explained to them, he explained to them the parables, explained to them why he talked in parables. He told them things that he did not tell anybody else. And he warned them at times, don't tell anybody else about this yet. On three separate occasions like this, he heard Jesus predict his death and his resurrection. Now I give all that, guys, just as a a synopsis. to to talk about what, as a preface, if you will, as background for what we're about to read about Thomas. This is the situation, the quote that you've heard the most about, about Thomas. And let's read it together here. It's on the screen. It's in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, what this is, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. I need to set this scene up a little bit. This scene is after Jesus has been crucified, after he's been resurrected from the dead, and after he has appeared to some of the disciples. Apparently, it feels like it's all of them except for Thomas at this point. Um, I'm not sure if it's saying it was all of them except Thomas, or if just Thomas was one of them that wasn't there, and they're recognizing this because of what he's about to see. Picking up verse 25, it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guys, now it's very interesting when we, we, we read through this story. Now I, I entitled the lesson, The Doubting One Question Mark, because that's the way we know him. We know him as doubting Thomas. And this is the story that we look to and go, he he had his doubts. He had his questions, but guys, I want to I want to I want to offer up something to you here when you look at this. And I, 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 yes, I believe this is very accurate. Thomas didn't have a problem with doubt. Thomas had a problem believing. Now I understand. I understand. I looked up the definition of the word doubt. One of the definitions is um, uh, to be uncertain about something or to hesitate. To believe. Okay? And we're going to read this in another translation down here. Because when you look at that phrase, stop doubting and believe, that you see in verse verse 27. When you look at other translations, including a, a Greek interlinear, this is what it says. Do not continue in unbelief, but believe. And when you look at that, that I believe is a more accurate translation because what did Thomas say? He didn't say, well, you know, I'm just going to hesitate to believe. I'm going to reserve my judgment until I have more evidence. What did he say? He goes, unless I can do this, unless I can see this very specific evidence, I won't believe. He he, He doesn't have a doubting. He has a belief problem. And guys, that's what we're going to focus on today because I believe this is incredibly significant in today's world. I believe that our faith is under attack. Everywhere you look, your faith is under attack. Just like Thomas, one of the closest followers of Jesus, exposed to more than the general crowds were, got to see the most Revealing teachings of Jesus. Got to hear them firsthand from His mouth. And yet His faith, His belief, He's just, He's just like saying, I'm not going to believe. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the other disciples said to Him. You know, you would think some of them say, He said this three times! He told us three times this was gonna happen! And yet He says, I refuse to believe. Guys, our faith is what it's all about. Hebrews 11 tells us without faith, it's impossible uh, to love God, to please God. You cannot please him without faith, without having this belief that moves you to action, to move you to think and act and live differently. And guys, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to have three simple things that we can learn from Thomas. And the first one is that Jesus wants me to believe. And if you're like me, you look at that and you go, you know, even as I wrote that, I'm like, duh. Yeah, Jesus wants me to believe. I'm sure John (laughs) 316. Haven't you heard it? Yeah, I've heard it. So would Thomas. Okay. So would Thomas. Can you imagine? I mean, can, can you just picture this? You're you're one of the 12, and you've seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. You heard his predictions about him dying and and being raised back to life. And you run into Thomas, and Thomas goes, yeah, well, until... until..." And he doesn't want to just see Jesus. He wants to put his fingers in the holes. He wants to put his hand in his side where the spear was put. He's saying, I've got to have irrevocable, irrevocable evidence, irrefutable evidence, excuse me, I'm not known for my English, my vocabulary. <laughs> I want irrefutable evidence. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever talked to somebody that's that way? You know, if I saw Jesus walking here and he had the hold aside side and fingers, I would probably believe him. If I saw him just show up in a locked room, yeah, I'd probably believe him. I want irrefutable evidence. Irrefutable evidence. Now guys, if you didn't catch it, in the last verse of what we read, after Thomas confesses Jesus as his Lord and his God, Jesus told him, because, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. He was ta- he's talking about us and everyone else in the world since that time that did not get to see Jesus after he was resurrected. He's saying you're in a good place if you believe that this all happened, but you don't get to see Jesus. What he's saying is he's not going to give us the irrefutable evidence like he did Thomas. Thomas. We're told to believe upon what his word has to tell us. But you need to understand something, guys. Jesus wants me to believe. What did he do when he showed up to Thomas? What does he say? He he looks right at him and says, Thomas, here you go. Here you go. Put your finger right there. Here you go. I'm not going to show you my fat. Hold your shirt up. Put your hand in there. You see, he wanted Thomas to believe. Guys, you need to understand something. Jesus wants you to believe. He doesn't want you to just believe you, and he doesn't want you to just believe that he is your savior. We had a talk with somebody. I, I, I'm getting to be involved in conversations more now that uh, with, with with unbelievers, and we talked to somebody recently. Uh, my wife and I were talking to somebody, and they they said they we asked them what what their beliefs were, what their thoughts were and they said I believe Jesus is the son of God and died for my sins wow and then another conversation we asked this individual said well do you consider yourself a, a Christian a, a follower of Jesus no why not he says, well I'm, I'm paraphrasing you know there's some things that I don't think Jesus wants me to do that I want to do you see he didn't believe enough he didn't believe that Jesus is a king that's coming back and that he's going to have to answer for his, for, his, for his actions. He didn't believe everything about Jesus. He believed the good part about Jesus. But we need to understand that Jesus wants us to believe everything about him. Let me ask you a question real quick. What about Jesus do you have a hard time believing? It's personal. I don't, I don't need any answers. But what do you look at and go, I'm not too sure about that. You see guys, I ask that question because right now there are, there is doubt being cast on various aspects of Jesus, specifically what we're ta- what Thomas was struggling with or refused to believe. And that is the resurrection. I've talked a little bit about this before, but there's a movement. I don't know if I'd say among Christianity or not. It's a movement to destroy traditional Christianity. And it's called progressive Christianity. And one of the things that they attack very plainly is the resurrection of Jesus. They say that it didn't really happen. It's a spiritual... It was a spiritual resurrection. It was not a physical resurrection. I'm not sure what they mean by that. I've heard of people in the progressive movement. That's one of the things they have to come to grips with. That somebody who's new coming into the movement will be talking and saying, you know, I'm almost there. I'm almost ready to give up my belief in the resurrection of Jesus. You see, guys, this is big stuff. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But his resurrection is huge stuff. And I ask you, what do you have a hard time believing? You know, maybe it's maybe it has to do with science. I believe that science has been grabbed a hold of. One of the as science has been grabbed a hold of as a counterbalance or the uh, uh proof, if you will, that the Bible isn't real, that the Bible isn't true. Among this progressive Christian movement, and I've heard progressive Christian preachers talk, one in particular, talk about this. That basically the Bible was written by a primitive people who were trying to explain things the best way they knew how. But now that we have science, we understand things better. You see, there's no such thing as demon possession because... That one scene of demon possession, where the boy threw himself into convulsions and, and, and sometimes it tries to throw him into a fire, we know that today is epilepsy. No, this, this is real stuff. This is real stuff. And they guys they they, they dissect the whole Bible that way. Okay, so it's it's, it's we're, we're challenged to believe what what do we believe? What do we believe? What do you believe about God creating the world? What do you believe about Jesus being his son? What do you believe about there being a spiritual realm? Okay, the Bible talks about God being in the spiritual realm. We sometimes call it the heavens or the heavenlies, the heavenly realm. See, Jesus is the son. Jesus is from there. Jesus is back there now. Well, and again, back to this idea that it's attacked. That's just primitive people trying to explain that which what they could not explain. And you see, guys, this is everywhere. You look in the news and you look at all the major topics that are going on right now. And your faith is under attack. If you have a traditional faith of Jesus, it's under attack. And I think it's important that you understand Jesus wants you to believe. He made a promise to us that if we seek, we will find. If you have something that causes doubts, if you have something that... That stirs you and you go, hmm, or that you don't have an answer for. Jesus says, if you seek, you will find. And the story from Thomas tells us he wants us to believe. He's not going to leave us hanging. He may not show us his resurrected body until he comes back. But I believe with all my heart, he is going to show us this. Look at this real quick. In... uh John chapter twenty, verses thirty to thirty-one. I, I mentioned earlier, did I not, that that Thomas, all four of his quotes are in the book of John. Okay, the other three guys decided not to tell us anything about him besides his name, but but the book of John does. And here in John chapter twenty, which these are the verses immediately following the story we just read. We stopped in verse twenty-nine. These are verses thirty and thirty-one. And what's going on is is John is telling us why he wrote the book, why he included what he included. This is what he says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Oh, I wonder what those are. I wonder what they left out. He says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name, you see, guys. Very quickly, and I know i will maybe pressed for time here, but there's three things that we need to He wants us to believe in, and they're all mentioned right there. Number one is He wants us to believe that He is the true King. You see that? Maybe we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That word Messiah means anointed one. It's because in the Old Testament, God had predicted, prophesied, told the people that. There's going to be a Messiah coming. There's going to be an anointed king. He's going to be a descendant of David. And he's going to rule forever. He's going to be the great prince of peace. He is going to be the king that truly takes care of his people. He is going to be the king. And guys, that's who Jesus is. And guys... It's only been in recent years that I've started referring to Jesus as King on a daily basis. And understanding. We were studying the Bible with some folks earlier this week and it's like, you don't, I guess it's, I don't remember when it was. We don't talk about what a kingdom is because we, we live in a democracy. A kingdom is where a king rules. The kingdom exists as the king's dominion. Guys, Jesus is that king. And we want to talk about this. Guys, which are you more interested in? Are you more interested in a certain politician getting elected? Or in recognizing and acknowledging Jesus as your king by how you live every day? I've been, I'm, I'm on record. For several years now, I want to continue to say, I don't care who's president of these United States. I don't care who controls Congress. I mean, I have an interest, okay? So same about the Supreme Court. But here's the deal. Whether Roe v. Wade was overturned or not doesn't change how my king wants me to live today. Doesn't impact me at all. Now, if I'm in contact with someone who's, who, who is in that situation and is debating ending a life, aborting a life, I have to talk about it with reference to Jesus, not the Supreme Court. And guys, let's be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I've never ran into that situation. I've never had a discussion with someone who was on, who was considering an abortion who had an unwanted pregnancy for whatever reason and was considering, I've never had that conversation. How much time should that consume my thoughts? Because guys, I'm confronted with situations every day where I have an opportunity to do what my king says, whether that's in my relationship with my wife or my children or some of you or lost people in the world. Or other believers who are outside of this body, I have to decide what I, what I'm going to think, what attitude I'm going to have. You see, because Jesus is the true King, He's the one I need to be concerned with what He thinks. Guys, that's the first thing we need to be focused on, um, Him being the true King. And guys, let me say something. You know, I I I just told you some of the the bad stuff that I consider about progressive Christianity. Can, one of the basis for progressive Christianity, in my opinion, is their, their criticism of evangelical Christians. And may I say this, let me say this more clearly. The misrepresentation of Jesus by some evangelical Christians. Okay, and they make some good points. They make some good points. When people are out picketing, God hates and you fill in the blank homosexuals and they don't use the word homosexuals i don't believe they're representing jesus very well i don't believe god hates i believe god hates behavior not people and to be in somebody's face like that that you don't know and just i i i disagree with it okay Some evangelical Christians and whole churches have been known for being more interested in the politics of this country than in Jesus' rule in their lives. And so, guys, I think it's significant. All this is written. This story about Thomas is written because he wants us to believe he's the true king. Second thing is that he is the son of God. Guys, this is what it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Guys, this is the second thing he says. In John, he says, first of all, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The second is that he is the Son of God. That he is the son of God. And guys, all that that involves. You see guys, it is so easy when you talk to these, some of these, these non-believers who still want to claim the name of Christ, they will say, well, I like the teachings of Jesus. And guys, one of the things they'll say is, by your, by, they quote it very accurately. This is, Jesus said in John 15, by their fruit will you recognize, I'm sorry, that's Matthew chapter seven. By your fruit you will recognize them. Guys, that's what we're chasing. The third thing here, and this is what it is, is Jesus wants us to believe is he wants us to believe that he resurrected from the dead. I've already talked about this some, but that was at the core of what was going on with Thomas. Let me read a passage to you in First Corinthians fifteen. Let me just ask you, let's say you go to work tomorrow, or you're hanging out with your neighbors tomorrow, and you start talking about how bad things are in the world, you know, the topic comes up, how bad everything is, and all of a sudden, you start saying, that's why I'm so excited about the resurrection. And they know about Jesus dying, like, well, I'm not sure I believe in the resurrection. Well, I'm talking about the resurrection. Not just Jesus resurrecting, but the resurrection. Because the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes back, both the good and the bad people are going to be raised back to life. And at that point, every, Jesus is going to re- really be the king. He's going to really rule. And everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be right. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And everything is going to be perfect. You know? You're going to get a new body. Awesome. Awesome. How comfortable are you' talking about that? How many times have you had that conversation? How many times have you brought it up? How many times have you thought it? see so guys let me let me listen let me read this to you it's not in your notes. I just added this in this morning. This is in first Corinthians chapter fifteen uh, i'm going to be beginning begin reading in verse thirteen, and this is what Paul is saying. He says, "But tell me this." Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? See, it was an issue right then, after Jesus died. After he was gone. A few decades later, people are going, there's no resurrection of the dead? Paul continues, he says, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have all said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. And then in that case, you see guys what he's saying there is you can't have it both ways. You can't say, "Okay, Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven, but I'm not going to believe in the resurrection." You know, that's just too out there. You know, science cannot prove a dead body got up and came back to life. And science can't do it still. So it's pretty significant. He goes on, he goes, In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, Oh, I love this line. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Did you catch that? He's saying, if, if, if there's no resurrection, we're to be pitied. Guys, if we're trying to live for Jesus and not believing in and consciously aware of the significance of the resurrection, we're missing it. We're fooling ourselves. Here it is, guys. Last, v- verse 20 it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Okay, first thing, guys, we can learn from Thomas is that Jesus wants us to believe. The second is that Jesus wants to confront my unbelief. And I added something in my notes this morning that you may want to write down. At least you'll remember is that Jesus wants to and will confront my unbelief. He wants to and he will. See, guys, Thomas was confronted because he expressed his unbelief. Okay? And Jesus knew about it. See, I think a lot of times we and i include myself in this without a doubt we're afraid to express our our doubts we're afraid to express our unbeliefs our questions now sometimes it's because we're afraid what the answers will be i've told you many times about a friend i had and we asked the question in a group have you ever asked jesus if you're doing what he wants you to do and he says no so why not? Because I'm afraid he's going to tell me I'm not. He says, I just want to look at what Jesus had to say. Choose what I want to do. Okay? Sound familiar? And live in bliss. Just believe that I'm okay. And guys, I've told people many I was just telling somebody recently about this uh, business opportunity I had just over 15 years ago now. And I pursued it. And I pursued it because I thought, God has just opened too many doors for me to not pursue this. But I was afraid to ask, God, do you really want me to do this? Because I wanted it. And you see, guys, that's the thing, it's the same way with our unbelief. You see... If you're looking and you're saying, no, I'm I'm not willing to express my unbeliefs. I'm not willing to ask, express them to Jesus and to say, listen, this is what I got going on in my head. This is what the problem is. This is what the challenge is. This is what the attack is. Uh, the question is, if not, why not? What am I scared of? You see, because sometimes it's like my friend I told you about. We're afraid of what it will mean if he gives me an answer. What will it mean? The person I was told you, Susan and I were talking about who said, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe He's the Son of God. But I'm unable to follow Him because if I follow Him, it means, he was playing. He was very, very aware of things. He goes, it means I can't do the things I plan on doing. And how many of us it's that way? That if Jesus... Answers our 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 criticisms, if Jesus answers our questions, then that means I'm gonna have to live differently. I'm gonna have to do things differently. You see, guys, and I have this I've been confronted with I don't know if I call it my unbelief or my laziness. Okay, and this is gonna fit into the next point, but I'm gonna talk about it here. Uh several years ago, I believe it was 2014. I was for the first time it's the first time that I've really acknowledged that I was confronted with my lack of knowledge or my inability to answer someone else's questions or to help with someone else's questions about believing in Jesus and about believing in the Bible. And since then it has just snowballed where I've been asked questions about the accuracy of the Bible. I've been, I've listened to uh criticism, attacks, and beliefs about the Bible not being really the Word of God, about it being a storybook, about science being the supreme authority. That if something cannot be reconciled to science, it has to be revoked, has to be refused. And guys, I say I was confronted because for years these were topics that I was aware of. They were things that I knew in fact, this church, we talked about it, at least on three different occasions. We had a man come in by the name of John Clayton. Some of you remember him being here. Uh, he is what's known as an apologist. Okay? They, they reconcile science in the Bible sometimes. They answer questions about those things, about the creation of the earth and the age of the earth and, and the flood and, and all these things and other Apologists specifically focus in on the accuracy of the Bible, and the reliability of the Bible. And they go on and on. And to me, that sounds like going to college for years and years and years and years and years. And that's why God gave us these other people, okay, that love going to school for years and years and years and years. And they've got the information. And now, and when you have a question, I just point at them. I just point at them. You know, here's their books, here's their tapes, here's their YouTubes. And those are good things to do, by the way, okay? Because I don't think you have to have every answer. But you need to know where to point, okay? You need to be able to have an intelligent discussion with them. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And guys, the truth of the matter was, I avoided it. Because I didn't like what I thought it would mean for me. Because I don't like getting into those discussions. I don't like having to think that hard. I like just believing. I just like believing the Bible is the Word of God. I don't like having to dig into the, you know like all these manuscripts and you know I don't I don't I don't, don't want to have to do that. I want somebody else to do the hard work. You see, guys, Jesus will confront my unbelief if I'm willing to put it out there. And if if you're in that position, I'm I'm challenging you, asking you to examine why you don't. Guys, if you look at John chapter 20 and verse 27, Jesus' words to Thomas, Put your finger here and examine my hands and reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in unbelief, but believe. I'm sure Thomas believed a lot about Jesus that was accurate at this point in time. Or prior to this, but he didn't believe in the resurrection until he saw Jesus. I believe Jesus wants you to have the same kind of experience. When you say, God, I have a question, I need to know why they tell, the, tell us the Bible is a storybook, why it's a myth. When somebody says that the, the, the Bible is a copy of 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 a copy and it's like that game you play as, as teenagers called telephone where one person says something and one person's ear and it goes around the room and then when it gets to the end, it's totally different. And that's what I believe about the Bible. It's totally different. It's not what it was originally intended to be. And God will show you. There's an answer. That's, that's, that's a bad argument, by the way. It's an it's a untrue argument, by the way. Because it, that illustration about about telephone or telegraph, whatever, falls apart because when it comes to the Bible, it's not a copy of 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 a copy. We go back to some very old manuscripts. And we can see what it said in the original language. Now those are copies of copies, but in the original language. And even then, there's a whole group of study called, uh, what is it called, C- critical... Textual criticism. Okay, you can get a PhD in textual criticism. I'm not doing that. There's other people that do. And they compare these different original language manuscripts because they have the copies and they compare and they take note of the discrepancies. There are differences. And very briefly guys, they've determined there is nothing theologically different no theology changes there are grammatical differences there are spelling differences they can identify when they believe a uh manuscript is took the guy writing the manuscript what's he called anyway scribe thank you when he took a liberty and added a word or changed a word because they can compare it to others see guys jesus will give you answers do you want those answers? Are you are you willing to have him confront your doubts, questions, and your unbelief? Third thing that we can lose, use, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, let's read this book, in, <clears throat> this passage in Acts chapter 9. This is when the apostle Paul, when he still went by the name of Saul, he was a Jewish person who was persecuting, he was killing Christians. And Paul is telling the story. I guess this isn't Paul telling the story. This is Luke telling the story. But he says, in verse chapter, in verse four of chapter nine, he says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. You see, Paul, like Thomas, his unbelief was confronted. Jesus confronted them. Now in both situations, guys, what they did, they made a profession of faith. They chose to believe. Thomas's, we've already, his fourth quote, and we're going to look at it here in a minute, but it's, he says, my Lord and my God. That's his response to seeing Jesus. My Lord and my God. You're my king. I'm your servant. You are the God. And I am allegiant to you. Third thing we can learn from Thomas is that Jesus wants me to help others to believe. You see, guys, it's just not about me. It's just not about you. When I was talking about, I I didn't have answers, and I didn't start getting answers, the, the right kind of answers till. Till twenty till eight years ago? That's because I was making it just about me. And when I realized that those I loved, those close to me, had questions that I needed to help them find answers to. I couldn't just give them a blank, well, you just ought to accept it. Guys, it changed. And we need to realize this, guys. Thomas died. We know nothing more about Thomas. The only thing that was recorded about him after this is that in the book of Acts, when they say the 12 apostles, they're listed in Acts chapter 1. He was there to vote on who was going to replace uh, Judas. He was one of them that stood up and spoke in different languages. We have no direct information. History tells us that he lived the rest of his life allegiant to Jesus. Helping others believe in Jesus. And that he was, he was, he was martyred. He was killed for his faith. See guys, we are told to help others. Look at this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. It says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Guys, God expects me and He expects you to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. God wants, Jesus wants you to help others to believe. You're familiar with this passage here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus' last words that we know of to his disciples. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples... I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Guys, you need to understand, Thomas fulfilled these instructions from Jesus. He spent the rest of his life helping others with their unbelief, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything he had commanded. But only after his unbelief became belief. See, he listened to what Jesus said when Jesus says, Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. The question for each of us today as we close out is, will I allow Jesus to turn my doubts and questions into belief and allegiance? Am I willing to fulfill the Lord's final instructions? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the story of Thomas. Father, I uh, I am amazed <laughs> of what you choose. Father, I'm amazed at the power and the impact and the... The vast amount of information and, and, and learning we can get from, from just a few simple facts. Father, when we look at Thomas and we look at his, the, the, what he's known for, and this, this story we looked at in John chapter 20 is the main thing he's known for. The other two quotes are just, they're kind of there. But Father, I'm amazed when I look at it and I see how much that applies to me. Father, I pray right now that anybody in this room has a question, a doubt. Father, they're offering it to you right now with a sincere heart saying, please show me. I want to believe. Father, I trust that your faithfulness will answer that prayer. Father, I believe that you're trying to do something here with this, this, uh, this group of believers known as the Greater Alton Church. Father, that you want us to represent you in a greater way than what we are right now. Father, that happens as w- when we as individuals make decisions. That we pledge allegiance to Jesus every day. That we want to represent your interests in this world. That we want to recognize the difference between your interests and our interests. And the interests of those of the world. And Father, we choose your interests. Father, we offer you our allegiance today. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen.